I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, locally the Biripai people and all other First Nations people within Australia, this beautiful country where I'm blessed to live. I aim to participate in reconciliation and I support the sovereignty of the First Nations people. So thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast. If it's your first time, welcome. If you're back again, awesome and thank you. I aim to bring you collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe that ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. Hi everyone, I am doing something a little bit different and jumping on and doing a podcast with just me. So um, yeah, this will be something I'm going to try and do a little bit more of as everything's changing at the moment with where the world's at. April 2020, a lot of the countries around the world are in lockdown because of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And so for me, my life has changed a little bit more in that I have less kid-free time, although I have a little bit right now. And so making that time and lining that up with other people to do podcasts has become a little bit harder. And I think it's something that will um, definitely open up for me again. But for now, I thought I'd take this as an opportunity to jump on and do one with me. Um, So for those of you who uh, maybe this is your first time listening or you don't really know much about me, I thought I'd just do a little intro of who I am, why I'm so passionate about what I do and what I share. And I'm going to make this episode about... Um, nourishing traditions food so based on the philosophy that I follow for myself and my family I'll try to follow the best I can and why I'm so passionate about sharing it with other people Um, and I might touch a little bit on home herbalism but I think I might save that for another episode and it will really just be a bit of an overview I'm not going to go into too much detail But just sort of a bit of a 101 on the types of foods that are involved in traditional nourishing traditions eating, wise traditions eating, uh, the background behind how the wise traditions or Western A Price Foundation started, which some of you may have heard me talk about on other podcasts. And um, also where that has certain people that I follow their work Um, how that's been carried forward into today and modern research, how that gets backed up by modern research and people that have been proponents in researching and sharing that. I'm going to give some of my favourite books, and which I've posted about on Instagram too, and then I'm going to talk about some key foods, so you might want to grab um, a pen and some paper if you're not driving, if you're um, at home and you can do that. I'll try to follow this up with a blog, but no promises at this stage. It will happen somewhere down the track. And of course, there's going to be a focus on pregnancy and postpartum nourishment. But this is also really key for everyone. But um, preconception, so the earlier you can start with this, the better. 
Now, before I jump into about me, um, it's also good to, I just want to say that it's good to not let guilt creep in here, that we all start with what we've got, where we are. I didn't know a lot of this or practice a lot of this as much as I wish I had of in my preconception, my pregnancy and postpartum. I did know about this knowledge and I did practice a fair amount of it but um, as I have gone deeper with my research I realize there's a lot more I could have done and so I'm just starting here now where I am each day and over the last couple of years I've tried to implement more and more of these principles and traditions so yeah um, it could be hard to hear for some people I guess if um, as we talk about certain topics and nutrition and how that impacts uh, your pregnancy, your own health and your child's health. If your child or you have some health issues, they can, guilt can creep in and, you know, hindsight is wonderful. But like I said, we just start with where we are and knowledge is power. We're better off learning now and talking about it now. So in saying all of that... I'm Shelley, <laughs> as many of you know. First and foremost, I am just me. I am someone who has always been really interested and drawn to natural health, uh, to food, nourishing food, to herbs, and to knowledge and exploring how we can become healthier people and I mean that holistically so physically but also emotionally mentally spiritually um, I'm definitely always learning I don't know if any of us ever make it there but I am someone who is healthy most of the time but I do also you know I drink coffee and I love dark chocolate and I do buy fish and chips here and there so <laughs> I'm a human I like to put that out there that I follow this most of the time and then I try to look for healthy alternatives for those lovely treats that we all love um so I'm a mother to three children my first baby uh passed at birth and I'm not going to go into that a lot I'm saving that for another podcast with a dear friend of mine but um, my dear boy Bodie was born in 2012 and he made me a mother and as hard as that journey was, um, all these years later, so almost eight years later, I have found gold and I have found blessings. But it's hard to know that at the time when you're going through such a difficult, sad time and the dark night of the soul. So then I was lucky and fortunate enough to go on and have two more children. I've got two girls, one who's almost three and one who's five and a half. And they're beautiful, energetic, amazing um, girls that keep me on my toes and challenge me. So, yeah, parenthood, as many people say, is the greatest learning journey. And I can definitely attest to that. But they inspire me to be healthy myself, them, and um, also to, for, to give them the best start possible. Um, I am a postpartum doula and an innate postpartum care provider so I'm really passionate about maintaining and revitalizing traditional postpartum care in a modern context 
cultures that um, most cultures have had some sort of traditional postpartum care and there's commonalities in those which I'll touch on and I think that is really where my heart is drawn and the foundation of a lot of what I do in the world my work I'm also I have um, a background in social work so before I went on maternity leave with my youngest almost three years ago I was working in a women's shelter women and children's shelter working with women and children um, experiencing homelessness and domestic violence and so it really was a natural extension for me when I decided not to go back to that work to still want to keep working with women and children and having experienced my own postpartums and becoming increased as I became increasingly passionate about that uh, yeah just more and more my heart was drawn to this work so I studied with um, Julia Jones at Newborn Mothers on postpartum doula and most recently with Rochelle Garcia Saliga doing the innate traditions postpartum care. I've also studied with the Herbal Academy of New England and I'm not a clinical herbalist, I call myself a home herbalist, um, but I studied the level of family herbalism with the New England Academy and I've j I'm just passionate about herbal medicine too, I'm always continually studying and looking into that. I also have studied with a steamy chick to um, learn more about vaginal steaming and practicing vaginal steaming for reproductive health and postpartum health, I've done the postpartum course, so that I could um, do it in a, a very safe way and just expand my knowledge there. Um, I did half a degree in naturopathy, so that was many years ago, going back. So yeah, I've always had that interest. There's lots of other things, but they're the main key things. And I've just, I've spent many, many hours looking into the Western O'Price Foundation and the nourishing traditions sort of philosophy. So that's what I'll focus on today. Um, <coughs> I haven't worked out how to pause, sorry, I just had to cough. When I'm doing my own, I'll have to work that out. Alright, so, usually I'm recording on Zoom, but I'm recording straight onto GarageBand today. Okay, so, the five pillars of postpartum care, there's a few versions of this. Mine, I have drawn from a few different sources. I think, um... Initially, through Newborn Mothers, Kimberly Johnson, the fourth trimester, and Hang Ao, I don't know if I'm saying that right, who wrote The First 40 Days, a beautiful cookbook around postpartum nutrition nourishment. So, I use the five pillars of support being number one, uh, rest and retreat, warmth. And these aren't my pillars, these are commonalities across traditional postpartum care. Nurture and nourishment. Now that's what I'm going to focus on today, but I really want to say that while eating well and using herbs and all these beautiful practices are wonderful and really do help to have the best start and a wonderful pregnancy and postpartum, and for your child to have the best start, they fit within a greater picture of these other pillars. Being support, warmth, rest and retreat, nurture and nourishment. And 
something along the lines of celebration or ritual, some sort of awareness that motherhood and parenthood is a huge rite of passage, it's a huge shift in our identity on so many levels. And that can feel really huge. And when that's acknowledged by ourselves, our family and our wider community, it can feel much more supported and it can give it um, some foundations and some frameworks to understand that huge shift rather than feeling like you're sort of drowning and un unsure <laughs> at a time when you're already learning so many new skills, becoming a new mother and possibly not sleeping very well. So yeah, um, support, nurture and nourishment, warmth, rest and retreat and some sort of ritual or celebration. We're looking at one of those today, nurture and nourishment. Maybe there's another idea, I'll do a podcast on each pillar. So Western A. Price was a dentist who is from, he was from Canada and he started to observe in the 1920s a degeneration in people's jaw and dental structure, more crowding, more cavities, more issues around formation. So he started to look into this and as he looked into it, he was also getting um, copies of the National Geographic and seeing these beautiful pictures of people, traditional people still living a relatively traditional lifestyle with these beautiful straight teeth and, and gorgeous jawline. And he wondered if this was true. Why were their teeth so beautiful when they were living in a less modern way with less access to less modern foods and agriculture? So he set off on an adventure and a journey with his wife. I think they were in their late 50s or 60s, which is amazing, in the 1920s, and travelled to so many countries around the world. He came to Australia here, New Zealand, Polynesia. He went through the Americas, Central South America, up to Alaska. He went into Europe, so North Scandinavia, um, the outer islands of Scotland, he went to so many different countries where he could find a population who was still eating a traditional diet, whether they were uh, practicing agriculture, although all cultures practice some sort of agriculture, or whether they were still practicing part agriculture and part foraging. Most cultures did some level of foraging too, just varying amounts of agriculture and foraging and hunting. And where he could find similar people living eating an industrial diet maybe in a nearby city so not too far away and he could look at the teeth and jaw structure of those people and what he discovered was that people eating the traditional diet did indeed have beautiful teeth like in the pictures and people eating an industrial diet were having increasingly degenerative dental health he then looked at the diet and found that traditional peoples were eating 10 times more fat-soluble vitamins, being A in retinol form, E, D and K2 from animal sources, fat-soluble animal-sourced vitamins. Also about four times more um, minerals, I believe, from like plant and animal sources. There's lots of other things too, um, and there's 
a number of principles in the Western A. Price Foundation. I'm not going to go into all of those there. So in looking at the fat-soluble vitamins and as modern research has since backed up how important these are for not only dental health but so many other aspects of our health so our formation in the womb um, our health as pregnant women and postpartum uh, formation of the skeletal system dental structure the whole central nervous system including the brain organ development so many immune health digestive health so many areas that were impacted are impacted by these vitamins and minerals so some key foods when we're looking at that that have been acknowledged and used in so many traditions especially in the preconception pregnancy postpartum are eggs especially the egg yolk super high in the a e d and k2 and other um, vitamins and minerals, folate, iron, bees, liver, um, seafood, fatty meat and broths, fish roe. They're the animal on oh, cod liver oil is a really important one. Uh, butter, cream, raw dairy for those peoples that had um, dairy cattle or some other animals as well like sheep and goats and animals like that that were milked were all really important now this isn't to say that uh, plant foods aren't super important too however when we're looking at these fat soluble vitamins we're looking at where we can get them and they are coming from animal source foods so humans biologically are omnivores we eat both animals and plants and get various uh, nutrients from both and often there's a synergy between the two so liver is traditionally a, a power it's a superfood it's it's beautiful it's nature's multivitamin it just has such a great balance and high nutrient density and I personally have had a wonderful experience with eating liver I have often had iron absorption issues I believe and therefore had low iron not anemia and when I've started upping my vitamin A foods even though I was eating a fair amount I had to eat more I had to work on my digestive health which I'll talk about and then um, eating the liver has really helped me absorb that and there is research showing there's a synergetic effect between vitamins A E, D, K2 and iron absorption we need all of them together it's the same with vitamin A and D and this is why it's important to be getting most of our nutrients from our food because nature has a beautiful way of putting vitamins and minerals together if we supplement we run the risk of doing it if we're doing it in an uneducated way if you're working with a really well research and knowledge integrative practitioner supplementing can work it's always best to try and get bioavailable natural non-synthetic vitamins and minerals um, but when you're eating it in a food nature has a way of putting things together that we need so for example if you take a synthetic vitamin a or yeah supplement vitamin a but you're not supplementing with a with d especially 
E and K, then you might be taking too much vitamin A. You need all of them together to work well. Now, traditionally, when you look at what foods cultures would give to a new mum in the postpartum period or fourth trimester, they were often soups and stews and broths and foods like these very um, well-cooked, liquid, warm, easy to digest foods. There were no salads, there was um, no raw vegetables and things like that. Now bone broth, anyone that's followed me knows I love my bone broth. Bone broth is just a wonderful way that you can start integrating these principles into your diet. And what I love about bone broth is it's super easy, it's super affordable, and you can do so many things with it. So I'm going to talk you through how I make my bone broth, I'm very basic, and what I do with it, and what I get out of it. And hopefully this will inspire you to start doing the same. And I know this is a lot, if you're new to this, this is a lot of information. So just take it in and try to pick one thing that you want to do and then you can add on a new thing. And the reason I'm going to share with the bone broth is because I think this is a wonderful way to start that. Maybe you'll choose to eat liver instead, which I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, the broth is a great base getting ready for postpartum foods because then you're making sure you have um, nutrient dense warm soupy foods so I go to my local butcher who I discovered a few months ago has a farm literally up the road from me about a 10 minute drive away and he has beef cattle who are pastured most of their life I think when times are tough they might supplement the feed and I'm not too sure but I think they might get a bit of grain towards the end of their life but they're most mostly pasture raised which means that these beautiful fat soluble vitamins are going to be higher so if you've got grain fed animals over pasture raised animals the fat soluble vitamins are going to be less got pasture raised fat soluble vitamins higher um, there's not too many purely like feedlot cattle farms where in my area where I live in Australia. Um, a lot of them are out on pasture, but sometimes at the end of their life they will be bulked up on grain. So um, they still have built their body and their fat mostly on pasture. Um, so I go to my local butcher and who grows beef up the road he's got a butcher in town the abattoir is nearby this is all happening within i don't know 50k radius which is wonderful and i asked for some marrow bones so you might want to go to to source your bones you might want to check out some local farms around ask around talk to your butchers talk to people just ask and find out where you can get what you feel is the best local healthy supply sometimes you can get online boxes there's lots of options these days. Yep, so I go into my butcher, I say, hey, have you got any marrow bones? I know which day they process their uh, meat each week, so I go in the day after so it's nice and fresh if I can. Um, they usually say yes, they've never said no. And I say, great, can I grab one or two? And can you chop them up for me? 
So chopping them up is important because they're big bones and you want to get inside for the marrow, big leg bones. And so they cut them vertically and horizontal so I can fit them in my slow cooker and all the beautiful marrow inside is open. Then I get home and I boil my kettle, boil some water. I turn my slow cooker on and up to high so it's starting to warm up. And then once the water's boiled, I put the bones in, pour the boiling water over the bones. Now, you can actually roast your bones first. You'll get more complexity of flavor. I do this with smaller bones sometimes. Um, if you've already got your oven on or you need to use it to bake some bread or something, then yeah, pop them in, why not? While the oven's hot, I usually don't with my marrow bones because they're so big and I just pop them in and it's still delicious. And I find the longer that you put them in the slow cooker, the more the flavor becomes complex anyway, whether you roast or not. And you can add other flavor in later. This is your base. So then I just leave them in the slow cooker for 24 to 36 hours. I do turn it down to low at some point, usually, I don't know, after five hours or something, once it's really bubbling away and I just leave it. I might come along, scoop out a cup, put some in a sauce or something I'm cooking. But generally the most, most I might have to top up the water sometimes. I'll come along and put some more boiling water in. I've got rainwater and I just boil that up. And then at the end of the 24 to 36 hours, you will see a beautiful layer of fat on top. I've got a few wide mouth jars. So I get my muslin or cheesecloth. I put that over my jar and push it in. So there's space for the liquid to go in uh, with a rubber band to hold it on. And I start scooping, ladling out, you can use a cup or a mug, the broth into the jar. And what happens is, especially with that first jar, is because you're scooping off the top, you're getting all the fat. And you'll see the fat rise to the top of the jar. And that will be your tallow, your beef tallow, if you're doing pork or some other type of lamb, I think it's called lard. Definitely pork, it's called lard. So my tallow, my beef fat. And I scoop that off carefully once it's settled, once the fat and the watery broth have separated well. I'll scoop most of that off into a jar and I keep it in the fridge, it goes hard. And I use that for cooking. So this is, I love my broth, but I love my tallow equally because I'm getting such a great product. I'm getting two products for one. And honestly, if you tried to squeeze olives <laughs> to get that much olive oil, it would take a lot of work and a lot of olives. So I'm getting a lot of good fat um very cost effective these bones don't cost me much they cost me less than 10 bucks for two i can't remember exactly how much and then i keep that and i saute i saute my vegetables my eggs i do potatoes in them roast potatoes anything where you would use oil you can use lard you can make pastries with it so that's product number one and it's sort of something i didn't realize i would be getting when I started bone broth and that I would love so much. Lots of great fat soluble vitamins in your lard. Then you've got your broth. So I leave a little bit of the lard on top of my broth just to seal it. Uh, maybe like just less than a centimeter. 
and the broth when you put that in the fridge it's going to go jelly like and that is all of the collagen um, which is wonderful for soups and stews I also use it if I'm making a sauce so like a tomatoey pasta based sauce I'll use that you can cook your rice and pasta and other grains in it if you're eating grains it's a great way for kids to get broth is the grains will absorb all of that beautiful broth sometimes I will poach an egg in it and I will just um, you eat the broth as well what else do I do with it I've seen people make brothicles for kids so you can pop it into like your own homemade icicles or popsicles ice cream that sort of thing um, let me think what else have I got oh I use it anywhere you would use any sort of liquid in your savory cooking you can pop it in and so as it will turn back to liquid when you heat it when you get it out of the fridge it will have that lovely jelly collagen um, which shows you that it really has drawn all of that beautiful collagen like substance out of the bones and the marrow um, bone broth high in glycine any sort of connective animal tissue ligaments uh, marrow that sort of thing will be high in glycine which is a super important nutrient glycine is conditionally essential in pregnancy and it's an amino acid which is that it makes up part of the building blocks that make up proteins in our body and glycine helps to make up collagen which is one of the most abundant proteins in our body super important for you as a mum or mums um, in pregnancy but also super important for bub in the development of hair nails eyes teeth skeletal structure um, and as you can imagine we use a lot of collagen as we're growing and stretching ourselves hey there i'm julia I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this podcast, you'll probably really enjoy newborn mothers too. We provide online courses for professionals and mothers worldwide who believe birth is about making mums too. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of the show. Broth becomes this beautiful sort of medium for which we can add all of the other great nutrient dense foods. So we can add in any sort of meat in there um, hopefully with some fat as well we can put in beautiful nutrient-dense vegetables such as leafy greens and root vegetables which are wonderful and sweet and grounding for a new mum like sweet potato pumpkins a great one too not a root vegetable beans and carrots offer great nutrients I'm not going to go into all the specifics I'm just sort of listing common vegetables and foods that are used in the postpartum um, but they when you look into them they do have uh, synergies so beans for example are high in folate as are leafy greens so you're getting a plant-based folate as well as animal sourced folate from and um, yeah you, you do need to get them from a wide round um, selection of foods so you can also be adding in things like barley and seaweeds um, garlic spring onion onions are often avoided in the postpartum as are chilies you can also be putting in lots of wonderful delicious herbs into your broth so ginger 
we're looking if remember one of the postpartum pillars was warming so we're looking for beautiful warming spices like the ginger and cinnamon star anise think chai tea you could be adding in other um, less well-known herbs i guess you can be putting in nettle and dandelion greens um, dandelion green by the way is thought to be a galactagogue which is um, to enhance breast milk um, and I will go into that a little bit more in the if I do a podcast on home herbalism but there's a it crosses over it's not like there's a clear line between what is herbal medicine and what is food and that is what really makes up home herbalism it's a very blurry line and they tie into each other it's about integrating these medicinal nutrient dense foods and herbs into our everyday so we're getting lots of small doses all day long so we don't feel like we have to be guzzling all of the nettle and raspberry leaf tea even though that's amazing too um we can just be getting this through nourishing ourselves with our meals through the day so yeah you can pop in those herbs into the soups as well uh, fennel, fenugreek, uh, less well known is nigella, watercress. Also, you can be adding in extra fat if you handle fat well. It's a great way to get energy and vitamins. So you can be popping in a spoonful of ghee, which is clarified butter. Butter is a wonderful source of the fat soluble vitamins A, D, K, two and um, if you don't handle dairy well most people can handle dairy if their digestive system is functioning well or has been healed if you've had issues i've been there i have had a terrible digestive system and i've done lots of work on healing that and i still have to be a little bit careful but i can now handle dairy and i can handle some gluten grains as long as they're processed well as in fermented and soaked um, so yeah you can be adding in so many things to flavor up and give extra nutrients to your soup with the broth so it becomes the base you can also just drink the broth so a beautiful broth that I make which is inspired by the book the first 40 days is one with red dates so I get these from like a Chinese supermarket like an Asian food supermarket in the Chinese food section um, red dates, jujubes and goji berries and some ginger and you boil up the broth and then you strain those out and keep them, pop them in your soup to eat them, your stew and just drink the broth. Now you can do this with any of the herbs that I've mentioned. You could make a nettle bone broth, you could make um, a garlic and turmeric and fenugreek broth, you could make a beautiful spiced one with cinnamon, nutmeg, star anise. You can really just get creative. So I think that that might do as far as like the animal source nutrients. There's so much more I could say, but I really just want to have this be like a simple overview um, and give some examples of certain nutrients, but I've by far not covered many at all. Um, as far as fats, there's still a bit of a misconception around the idea that fats and cholesterol are bad for us. 
and couldn't be further from the truth. All of our hormones rely on cholesterol. We need cholesterol. We need especially the animal source cholesterol and fats. Although other wonderful fats like coconut oil, um, cold-pressed um, macadamia oil, that sort of thing are fantastic. I personally just stick to ghee, butter, lard and coconut oil. I find it's really easy if I just stick to the... And olive oil, sorry. Cold-pressed olive oil is another wonderful one. So they're the ones that I stick to for cooking. Other really common postpartum foods are, I think I mentioned barley, oats, rice, almonds, I think I mentioned seaweed, often berries and certain fruits like apples and pears and apricots, um, dates are commonly used, honey, but avoiding refined sugar, it just wreaks havoc on our system, stops us from absorbing nutrients, messes around with our blood sugar. I think most of us realized refined sugar is not that great. And it was actually something when we go back to Weston A. Price's observation when he was looking at the industrial diet. So what did that mean? What's an industrial diet? So all of a sudden people eating a lot of refined sugar that they never had access to. They had access to fruit sugar, honey, some other types of sugars, but not in the quantity and uh, form that industrial diets did refined flour so lots of white flour and way less much le way 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 less of the animal products organ meats became less popular and less access to wild greens and herbs and things like that um other foods to avoid while we're on that it's chili the cabbage family uncooked cabbage kale no raw green smoothies <laughs> you can have a smoothie but not with kale um it can really impact your digestion and it has compounds in it that are really hard to digest like oxalic acid that will break down when they're cooked so very different if something is cultured fermented or cooked and often onion was avoided although sometimes it was used so this isn't cut and dry some cultures would use one thing in postpartum dish and others wouldn't um some would eat chili, no worries, without it affecting baby or breast milk, but many wouldn't. Spring onion seems to be fine though, so the onion greens seem to be fine. So yeah, there's um, a bit of a list. It's definitely not extensive, like I said. So I was on the fats and cholesterol, I think. Yeah, we need those for our hormones. We really need them for energy. We need them for vitamins. So please, if there's one thing you can do, if you're still worried and you're still trying to eat a low-fat diet, stop. Your body might take some time to adjust to start integrating more fats slowly. Steer clear of the horrible refined oils like um, or canola, vegetable oil, even like sunflower oil. Those oils have been processed and destroyed with heat and um, being, what do they call it, they degunk it. I'm going to put some links up to the Western A. Price Foundation and some podcasts with Sally Fallon who breaks down why these industrial seed oils are disgusting. I mean, processed so much, and some of them have even been um, processed with chemical solvents. Often they're rancid as well. So we steer clear of those. Those types of fats wreak havoc on our body and are linked to cancer and don't provide any nutrients for us, despite what we have been told. So margarine is off the list and those vegetable oils are off the list. 
sticking to the traditional fats that people ate. So, yeah, introduce slowly. And if you're new to these types of fats, try and introduce some bitters at the same time. Some dandelion leaves, some dandelion root tea. You can buy herbal bitters. If you're pregnant, just check whether you can have that. Maybe um, be careful with your herbal use in pregnancies. But if you're pre-pregnancy, postpartum, um, or pregnant, just checking with someone about what bitters you can have. But bitter green, leafy greens cooked, and bitter herbs like dandelion are wonderful. And those bitters will help your gallbladder to up its bile um, production and help you break down the fats as well. And then you just slowly, slowly up that. So I think that I would like to talk a little bit about um, gut health as well in all of this. So a lot of us have been damaged by the modern industrial diet, myself included, and we are having trouble absorbing foods at the best of times, alone if we don't have enough nutrient-dense food. So gut healing is really important. However, it should be taken slowly and cautiously if already pregnant or in the early postpartum because we can start to detox and then that will go um, have impacts on baby and come through breast milk. But we can still do things. We can still start slowly. So um, gut health. There's a few different ways we can start improving our gut health and what's really you know picked up lots of steam in the last couple of years is cultured food. So making or buying sauerkraut, kimchi, that sort of thing. Kimchi can have a lot of chili, so if you're in your postpartum, if you're pregnant, that's fine. Um, fermented dairy. So a lot of people that can't digest dairy can probably handle raw dairy, but in Australia it's really, really hard to get hold of. I know some states in the US and definitely in Europe you can get raw milk. New Zealand, you can get raw milk. A lot of people that can't handle pasteurized milk can handle raw milk products however if you can't access that uh, like many of us can't here try and source definitely a pastured dairy cow milk organic as well if you can is best we're really lucky we've got uh, a couple of organic dairies that are very passionate about pasteurized uh, and sustainable ethical farming and they provide to a local dairy company here so I use that milk a bit and you can start making your own milk kefir, you can make your own yogurt, you can, there's other fermented dairy products like Filmjolk, and they are a wonderful way to start getting um, more probiotics into your diet, healing your gut, and accessing the nutrients in dairy in a more digestible way, so the lactose has been broken down. Um, there's some evidence that possibly other proteins like casein are easier to digest when they've been cultured as well. Uh, the bone broth is also really important, I should have mentioned, for gut healing. So it has a lot of beautiful gut healing aspects, um, properties to it. So when you're having the bone broth and meat broth, so meat broth is more like a stew, like you'll um, boil up, simmer up some fatty meat cuts with the meat and fat for four to five hours. And that's really gut healing too. 
Um, the other aspect of gut health and fermentation is processing your grains. This is a major aspect to the Weston A. Price philosophy too. And it is soaking your grains like rice and oats overnight and with a little bit of something acidic, whether that's whey, vinegar, lemon juice. And then for other grains, when we're eating bread, things like wheat, spelt, using a culture like sourdough to break down the gluten and unlock the nutrients breaking down phytic acid which i've talked about on instagram which can call wreak havoc on our digestive system and block us absorbing nutrients so um yeah starting to process our grains or avoiding them if we can't get processed sourdough and then just soaking other grains like barley oats and rice so I would love for you all to jump on and ask me any questions after you've listened to this. Let me know what you would like to know more about. Would you like to know more about iron absorption? Would you like to know more about the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, K2, what they do? Do you want to know more about folate? We haven't even discussed folate yet. and <laughs> It gets a lot of press around preventing neural tubes defects but folate is just one of the nutrients we need for that we also need choline we need b12 we need glycine um and they can be found in a lot of the foods i've discussed folate especially in liver eggs um i haven't discussed fatty acids much like dha and omegas do you want to know more about using herbs in there, using seaweed? Um, would you want me to talk about an example of a recipe about how you could actually go out and make something for yourself or someone else? Jump on, let me know. I'm going to start wrapping up and with my wrap up, I'm going to just tell you about three books I've got here sitting in front of me that I think are a great place to start if you're really interested in this. So um, Sally Fallon, I've shared these on my Instagram as well, these books, Nourishing Traditions, the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and the diet dictocrats. Now there's a title by Sally Fallon and the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and childcare also by Sally Fallon Morell. Um, Sally Fallon Morell is a huge proponent of Western A. Price Foundation philosophy and it's really well researched. So she has collaborated with people and she has spent so much time looking at research. There's a lot of references in there. So you can follow those up if you're into that sort of thing. And then another one is Real Food for Pregnancy, The Science and Wisdom of Optimal Prenatal Nutrition by Lily Nichols, registered... Um, RDN, that's American, so I think that's registered dietary nutritionist. I'm not sure. Anyway, I interviewed Lily. She's Canadian, I believe, and she's on my podcast. I think it's episode five. Super well researched as well. Love her book. Lots of great information, recipes. Both all books have recipes that I just mentioned. Then you can jump on to westernaprice.org if you're interested in going further and deeper and and looking into the science and the wisdom behind all of this lots of great research um, information on there also the wise traditions podcast is a wonderful source of info podcasts are fantastic when you're mumming it 
so I hope you enjoyed that. I would also love to hear from anyone out there who maybe has experienced traditional postpartum care, maybe your mum or mother-in-law, auntie, sister cooked you something and you're going, yeah, they cooked me a chicken soup with this and that and that makes sense or hey, we use this herb. Um, yeah, jump on and message me and let me know what you know as well. I really want this to be an exchange as I've said in my other podcasts. Alrighty, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were... um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.